You are listening to Learn Out Loud's Art History Podcast. Each episode provides thoughtful analysis of the enduring artistic masterpieces that have become a hallmark of Western culture. For a full listing of the podcast released by Learn Out Loud, please visit us at www.learnoutloud.com slash podcast. The Birth of Venus Painted by Sandro Botticelli in 1486 From the Renaissance by Walter Pater Sandro Botticelli carries his sentiment into classical subjects, its most complete expression being a picture in the Uffizi of Venus rising from the sea, in which the grotesque emblems of the Middle Age and a landscape full of its peculiar feeling and even its strange draperies powdered all over in the Gothic manner with a quaint conceit of daisies frame a figure that reminds you of the faultless nude studies of Anger. At first, perhaps, you are attracted only by a quaintness of design, which seems to recall all at once whatever you've read of Florence in the fifteenth century. Afterwards, you may think that this quaintness must be incongruous with the subject, and that the color is cadaverous or at least cold. And yet, the more you come to understand what imaginative coloring really is, that all color is no mere delightful quality of natural things, but a spirit upon them by which they become expressive to the spirit, the better you will like this peculiar quality of color. And you will find that quaint design of Botticelli's a more direct inlet into the Greek temper than the works of the Greeks themselves, even of the finest period. Of the Greeks as they really were, of their difference from ourselves, of the aspects of their outward life, we know far more than Botticelli, or his most learned contemporaries. But for us, long familiarity has taken off the edge of the lesson, and we are hardly conscious of what we owe to the Hellenic spirit. But in pictures like this of Botticelli's, you have a record of the first impression made by it on minds turned back towards it, in almost painful aspiration from a world in which it had been ignored so long. And in the passion, the energy, the industry of realization with which Botticelli carries out his intention is the exact measure of the legitimate influence over the human mind of the imaginative system of which this is perhaps the central myth. The light is indeed cold, mere sunless dawn, but a later painter would have cloyed you with sunshine, and you can see the better for that quietness in the morning air each long promontory as it slopes down to the water's edge. Men go forth to their labors until the evening, but she is awake before them, and you might think that the sorrow in her face was at the thought of the whole long day of love yet to come. An emblematic figure of the wind blows hard across the grey water, moving forward the dainty-lipped shell on which he sails, the sea showing his teeth as it moves in thin lines of foam and sucking in one by one the falling roses, each severe in outline, plucked off short at the stalk, but embrowned a little, as Botticelli's flowers always are. Botticelli meant all this imagery to be altogether pleasurable, and it was partly an incompleteness of resources, inseparable from the art of that time, that subdued and chilled it. But this predilection for minor tones counts also, and what is unmistakable is the sadness with which he has conceived the goddess of pleasure as the depository of a great power over the lives of men. <laughs> 